Hello, and welcome to this episode of Triggered and True, featuring renowned emotional health consultant, Laura Duncan. Thank you for being here, and thank you for investing the time to learn how to take care of your soul. If this podcast sparks any questions, feel free to submit a question by going to triggeredandtrue.com, scrolling to the bottom of the page, and clicking ask. If you would like to learn more about Laura Duncan, we encourage you to follow Laura on Instagram and Facebook. Also, a great resource for you to consider is the Compassion Method Master Course. This course is a deep dive into Laura's life work, the Compassion Method. The Compassion Method is a process that empowers you to learn to see and comfort your internal pain and to discover your true self, your true self, that beautiful, wonderful part of you that has been there all along, but has simply been covered up. To obtain the Master Course, go to CompassionMethod.net and as a podcast listener, you qualify for a $50 discount that can be obtained by typing in the coupon code PODCAST50. Again, that's CompassionMethod.net, coupon code PODCAST50. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to this episode of Triggered and True. Today's topic is there are no villains in life. This episode is going to challenge your thinking, and it may even trigger you quite a bit. There may even be times during this episode you may be tempted to stop listening, but I strongly encourage you to listen all the way to the end because today's message is extremely empowering and it has the potential to change your life. So enjoy the episode. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, please let us know. Hello and welcome everyone to this episode of Triggered and True, where we are going to be talking about a topic that is potentially going to be very triggering. Would you agree, Laura? Many times this topic is triggering. It's, it's something that we all deal with. And so usually it kind of hits hits home for a lot of us. So I called an audible on Laura. This was not going to be the topic that we were <laughs> planning on discussing today, but it's kind of been burning within me. And I know this is very triggering because I sat with my daughter and my spouse last night, and we were talking about this very topic and it became... <laughs> a little triggered uh, yeah. amongst our family. So um, uh, anyway, so what we're talking about today is that there are no villains. And what we're talking about, there are no villains in life. And yes, really, it's true. So we've been taught that every story needs a villain. No good storyline works without one. Someone must be the bad guy. But in reality, life isn't quite so black and white. Oftentimes, the line between villain and hero, villain and helper, villain and whatever else is, is quite blurry. And in reality, there are no villains, but what there really are is a world filled with hurting people that tend to hurt other people that tend to, in turn, hurt other people. And we have this kind of cycle that goes on that seems never-ending, but a lot of what we're doing with the compassion method is to end that cycle of hurting people, hurting people. It's kind of a byproduct. You know, mm -hmm. it's not the goal. The goal is to take care of our own heart, to discover who we are, who we were created to be. And as a byproduct, guess what? We're going to be hurting less. And if we're hurting less, we're likely going to be hurting. Um, we definitely will not be hurting other people to the extent that we do today. So, um, We'll talk about why this is so triggering, and uh, some of you can probably already imagine why. So, Laura, first question for you is why, as it pertains to taking care of one's inner world, 
is it so important to recognize this truth that there truly are no villains? Yeah. So many of us spend our whole lives blaming the villains in our lives and they can change from season to season. But a lot of times we'll have certain characteristics that are painful to us based on our own story, based on our own early childhood development. And when we spend that time blaming others and even justifiably blaming others, because we have been justifiably wronged by others, we end up not being able to take care of our own internal world and not being able to take care of our world makes the villains in our life very powerful because we are weak or empty inside of ourselves. And so whatever actions someone else is doing towards us, especially painful actions, is going to feel really big. It's going to make that person in our life feel 20 feet tall. And it's going to make us feel very, very small because we haven't taken care of what's going on inside of us. And that's why when we do take care of what's going on inside of our internal world, we no longer have the villains in our life and or we no longer see the villain in the same way. Yeah, I think what you said about the 20 foot tall when we're when we're triggered, we've talked about this before, when we're yeah. not in our right mind, when we're not clear-minded, tender-hearted and at peace, when something has knocked us off our game, the bigger that reaction, the littler we are and the bigger that other person becomes, which is part of why it's so easy to make them the villain because they get all of the focus. They take up the whole screen, so to speak. Yeah. And so why why is this so difficult to do for people to kind of turn off this trigger or to turn off this need to have a villain? Well, I mean, there's multiple layers to it, but one of the big layers to it is if we let the villain off the hook, if we say there are no villains in life, then the pain that we experience becomes no longer becomes um, relevant or validated because it says that if there's no villains then your pain doesn't matter. And so that's what I think triggers us at the core, that if there is no one to blame for the things that justifiably happen to us and hurt us, then we're letting that person off the hook and that person, then our, that person can hurt us without our pain being taken care of. And I think the blame helps us be able to the judgment, the blame, the villainizing of a person helps us feel like our pain is valid. A couple of thoughts I had while you were saying that were people would feel that their pain's not legitimate. Yeah. Because if, if there isn't a villain, is there really mm -hmm. any pain? Exactly. Well, the answer is yes, there, there still is pain. <laughs> there is still pain, but no, yes. exactly. That would be the reasoning behind it, that if there is no villain, then there is no pain, but there is still pain, regardless if it's justifiable or not. I think the other thing that comes up is the only way a person thinks they're going to get comfort is to blame the villain. Yeah. So if they stop blaming the villain, they're basically saying, I can't comfort myself. Why is that such a double-edged sword? Well. It's a false form of comfort to blame. It gives us a sense of um, when I blame another person for my internal world, it gives me a feeling of comfort. Even though I actually never get comforted, it gives me a relief of somebody is right. Somebody is wrong. You know, they're, what they did to me is wrong. So therefore, I feel safer in that. But when we don't take care of what's going on inside of us and we're not able to connect with what, why it really bothers us, what's really going on inside of us, it keeps us neglected. It keeps us not being able to get the proper comfort that will actually heal. One of the things I've heard you say in the past along this lines is it's not fair to have a villain. It's not fair to your heart. 
Mm-hmm. So, and you kind of just hit on a little bit, but do you want to just yeah. expand on why it's not fair to create a villain, to, not yeah. fair to yourself? Yeah, to ourselves, exactly. Because it keeps us tra- trapped, it keeps us haunted by that villain. I've seen multiple people that don't even have that person in their life anymore, but on a daily, weekly basis, they're being haunted by that person's behavior, haunted by how that person made them feel. And so it's not fair to our heart to continue to blame a villain and not be able to take care of the wound that's there that probably happened long before that villain ever was even part of your life. Yeah. And I think what really resonated with me is that it's not fair that the villain gets all the attention and your heart gets Mm -hmm. none of it. Exactly. And that always stands out to me that the person with the bad behavior, the person that's hurting people, they through blame, through villainizing, they get all the attention and your heart is left bleeding, is left neglected in that. And that is really sad that the bad behavior gets all the attention, but the wound, the pain doesn't get the attention that it actually needs. Yeah. I think what was so uh, triggering with my family members last night was this thought of that if you don't have a villain, you kind of make yourself a doormat. Hmm. Like, if yeah. you're not, if there's not a bad guy, you're, you're almost like you're condoning their behavior mm-hmm. and like you're a victim to it. Yeah. You're a victim to it and that their behavior is okay. You're saying mm-hmm. their behavior is okay. If you don't make mm-hmm. them a bad person. Yeah. But what, what we kind of know is that, um, what someone does matters. We it know that does. if they're yeah. doing something hurtful, that matters. Mm-hmm. but what they're doing is not who they are. Exactly. And that is the personalization of the villain villainization is I need to have a name, a person to blame, to be able to feel okay, that I'm not a victim, that I'm not being taken advantage of, that I'm standing up to somebody. And if we don't, if we think that's who the person is, if we think the villain's actions are who they are, then we are going to be judged in the same way. Because we are going to be seen in the same way that we do things that are wrong. And shame says that what you do is who you are versus I do things that are wrong that can make me look like a villain, but who I am internally is not a villain. And that changes it both for how we see others, but also how we see ourselves too. You know, similar to this, we had the podcast that was actually one of our most popular podcasts ever on manipulation and narcissism. And I along the lines of what you just said, I always, I always really dislike when people label someone a narcissist or a manipulator or whatever, because it feels like it's kind of doing, it's kind of like saying that that's who they are. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, they might be doing something that's narcissistic, but that's not who they are. And to me, it's almost kind of like making them the villain. Mm -hmm. And then some words are just so nuclear Mm-hmm. Like when exactly. you call someone a narcissist or you, you know, say, say some real strong word like that in our, in our culture, that's a very nuclear word that you really kind of kill communication. You really, yeah. you really kind of, well, I mean, the nature of a narcissist, what people believe to be true is that it is who the person is and that they can never change. That yeah, it's a very hopeless have, thing. Yes, exactly. That you once a narcissist, always a narcissist, and you can't change it. And that's a very hopeless position to be in. And also sees the person's identity as a narcissist versus, like you're saying, narcissistic behavior is, of course, you know, something that's happening all around us that we, we personally yes. have contributed to as well. 
but being a narcissist that can never change and will always be that way really takes away from who a person is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it um, really ties back to what we talk a lot about, you know, hitting this again, what someone does matter, but it's not who they are. But if we are judging others in that way, that means we're also doing the same to ourselves. Yep, exactly. You can't not. People want to have a villain and they want to be the hero, but you can't have a, you can't villainize others without becoming the villain yourself. Yeah, at some point in that storyline. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. And it always feels so good to be on the side, the victim side or the side of the one that's being hurt because it feels so justifiable that we we can protect ourselves in that versus when we flip it around and we're the person that's hurting somebody else, it feels very different to be the villain versus to have a villain in your life are two very different things. Yeah. Kind of our family conversation last night too kind of went back to boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, if there's lots of villains in your life, which a, a lot of us have had at different points in our lives, and um, that means we have to put up a lot of boundaries. Mm-hmm. We're always yeah. on the defensive. Yep. And I think what was where 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 the mind was going last night as we were discussing this was that if you don't have villains, that means that people have a license to yeah, we talk about doormat or license to hurt you. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that it's okay for them to hurt you. And that is absolutely not uh, what no. we're saying. And, yeah. and one of the things you talk a lot about is that if your heart is full, you become your own boundary. Yep, exactly. So what was being shared last night was just kind of a somewhat hypothetical example, somewhat not hypothetical of you know, if a man is treating a woman really poorly, mm-hmm. you know, that has to stop, you know, he, you know, that, but my point was, if the, in the case that we were talking about, if the woman's heart was full, mm-hmm. if she was at peace and she was clear mind and heart at peace, if she was full, she wouldn't be in the relationship to begin with. Nope. Exactly. You always because she have becomes the- her own boundary. She would never put up with that. Nope. You wouldn't just naturally, it wouldn't have to be a fight. It wouldn't have to be a push pull. It would just be, I know my value. I know my worth. I know who I am. And therefore I don't put myself in those types of situations because as much as you fight against it, you're fighting with it. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like, we can say like, I'm going to stand up for myself and I'm going to become, you know, bigger than my villain. And I'm going to become stronger than my villain. I'm not going to let him walk all over me or she walk all over me instead of realizing that that actually intensifies or it actually magnifies the villain's behavior because as soon as you engage in it, it becomes powerful. So we don't realize it, but the victim is actually empowering the villain. Well, it's just, it's just, it's this loop. Exactly. It's like this feedback loop. Yep. It's feeding, it's feeding it. Yep. We feel like we get bullied or we get hurt and then we want to become big and become the bully ourselves to feel powerful. But power, feeling powerful doesn't come from being bigger and being more powerful. Powerful comes from vulnerability. Powerful comes from heart connection, like you're saying, that's so full and so okay within itself that it becomes the most powerful force in the room. Yeah. And we've talked about this a lot with codependency and other types of things, but a heart that's full doesn't need to be in a relationship, Mm -hmm. period. Yep. 
you know, it'd be nice. It, the exactly. preference would maybe be to be in a relationship, but a heart that's full can say, if a relationship doesn't come along, I am not going to yeah. put up with X, Y, and Z just to, just for the sake of being in a relationship. So Laura, I think one of the things that could be kind of triggering for a listener, as we were talking about that scenario of uh, maybe a woman that's being treated not properly in a relationship by a man, or could be vice versa, could be you know, any type of relationship where someone's not being treated properly. Kind of one could interpret from what you said is that the victim, since they're kind of feeding this cycle as well, that somehow the victim's at fault. But in your line of thinking, there really, if there is no villain, there's also no victim. Exactly. That's a very, very important clarification. So do you want to expound on that? How there's, if there's, there's no victim yeah. either, but, but yeah. somebody got hurt. Aren't they the victim? So if somebody got hurt there. They are the victim of that behavior, but the, the degree that that behavior impacts our hearts is directly connected to how we see ourselves and who we are in that relationship or who we are in that connection. So is the so, distinction between being victimized and taking on the identity of a victim? Exactly. Same thing with there's no villains. Are there villainous behaviors? Yes. Are there, there people that are victimized by other people's villainous behaviors? Yes, that is 100% true. But how that impacts you and how that causes you, what that causes you to feel internally is going to be based on your own early childhood development, your own story, your own process. Two women can go through the exact same behavior. Man can treat each of the women equally abusive, equally villainizing, I mean, villainous. And they're each going to respond differently based on their own internal world. So it's not a one size fits all for, for the perception of a villain or the perception of a victim. That it's based on our own internal world. You can have two women go through the exact same thing, and one will say, I'm not going to do this anymore and get out and not be subject to that anymore. You have another woman that'll stay in it for the rest of her life. It's based on our own story, how our brain wires, and what our early childhood development told us about our value or our worth and staying in a relationship or not. That's what it's about. If that person loved themselves and knew who they were, they would be able to find resources and help and solutions. But instead, because of our trigger and because of our lack, because our early childhood development actually reinforces being a victim, reinforces the pain that we're experiencing in the situation with the perceived villain, we stay stuck in that because we don't know how to get out. So we feel like we have no resources, no solutions. And our only answer is to villainize and blame the other person because we don't feel like we're powerful enough to do anything about it. Hmm. Well, I think in some ways, Someone could maybe think that what you're saying sounds harsh, but what it but, does seem bad at first. And I've had people feel like you're not giving me enough empathy or compassion for the abuse that I'm experiencing. But what I always tell people is your abuse matters. It does. And I am so sorry that you're going through abuse and I'm not making light of it and I'm not minimizing it. It's horrible to be treated badly, but I have more hope and expectancy for who that person is, even in the midst of the abuse, that I can honestly say your abuse matters, but you matter so much more and you're so much more powerful and you have so much more worth and so much more value within you that you must not be able to rightly see because you have become 
you feel like you've become a victim in this situation because you don't know your value. So it takes on an offensive approach instead of a defensive approach. The defensive approach says you have a villain in your life and you have to become big and strong and powerful to overcome the villain. But the offensive approach says, I'm going to be so full of love that when a person behaves villainously towards me, I can be okay. Doesn't mean that I say that that behavior is okay. It doesn't mean that I just, I say that it doesn't need to change. I don't need to make different changes, but it says that my internal world can be okay, even in those situations. And that's actually believing in a person and empowering a person, not minimizing the pain. Now, when, when one, when one really grasps this and, and, and part of, I feel like this tension, to be honest, like, I feel like I've grasped this, like, just just, just, you know, um, I don't know what, if there's degrees to the level of grasping, but I've grasped mm-hmm. it a lot more in the last, you know, months. And yeah. I think that's why it was burning in me to do this, but this is such an empowering thing. This it really is, is. once you is, get past the initial hurdle yes, of wanting your pain to be validated and then recognizing that it's actually who you are. That's looking to be validated, not your pain. Because if you remember my storyline, I grew up you know, being bullied a lot. And that was part, that was part of my story. And, and in the episode where I share about that, I think it's 18, my bullying experience, it wasn't so much that I was bullied as a kid. It was that I was alone in it. And my parents were, you know, I didn't have an adult that could be with me in it. But in, in my life growing up, the bullies were always the big people in the room. And I was the little one. Yeah. And I had a scenario where not too long ago, there was a bully in the room. I'm an adult now. Okay. So Mm -hmm. this was another adult in the room. Yeah. And the, the, the adult was triggered Mm -hmm. and the the adult was kind of that, you know, uh, type a take charge personality. And that, that, uh, that person was very triggered and was in effect, what was happening is they were, they were doing some bullying and, I looked at this whole situation so differently because yeah. no longer was I the little, the little one in the mm-hmm. room that yeah. had to run to the corner. Yep. I recognize not completely in the moment. You know, I'd yeah. be lying if I said I have a completely in the moment, <laughs> but very quickly, but very quickly after yeah. I recognized that, oh no, 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 no. I wasn't the little one in the room. Mm-mm. My so heart good. was full. I was the big one in the room. Yeah. The person doing the bullying behavior was the little one in the room. Yeah. I was the big one. They were the little one. They can't hurt me Mm-mm. because my heart's full. They, their behaviors. Is it my preference to be in a room like that? No, of course not. Yeah. But I could be in that room and be okay because mm-hmm. it'd still be you. I knew, I knew what was going on. I yep. knew, Hey, this person's just triggered. And what happens yep. when you're triggered? Oh, you go into your child brain, you go mm-hmm. into your amygdala. This yep. person looks like a really old person, but really they're <laughs> acting like they're five. Yep, exactly. And if a little five-year-old was in this room yep. throwing a temper tantrum, mm-hmm. would I say that that five-year-old could bully me? No. Nope. Would it be annoying? Would I say that maybe I don't want to be in this room? <laughs> of course. Maybe it's kind of loud or whatever, <laughs> but uh, my fight or flight's not going to kick in. I'm not going to yep. you know, feel all that. And that's the empowering part. Exactly. You know, there's no bullies. Yep. You know, the bully can only affect me to the point where my heart is not full. Exactly. And it's so true. And then what ends up happening as a byproduct of your heart being full, you're curious. 
You can see yeah. that five-year-old. You can see that when a person acts like that, they're they're very young because adults don't act like that. And then well, all I of guarantee sudden, you yeah. 10, 10 years ago, five years ago, oh, I, yeah. lay, I would put labels on this person. Oh, I would have yeah. not wanted to ever hang around this person again. Mm-hmm. I would have done and you would have things. saw that person as who they are. You would have seen that person as the bully, as the villain. And that would have been your perception of that person. Right, right. When in reality- You would have missed- who that person really is. Well, yeah, in reality, I know this is an very amazing person because I've gotten to know them in other ways and I'm able to hold on to all of that. Yep. Recognize that this was some behavior that's not ideal. Of course. But but it's definitely not who they are. And that that to me is the the empowering part. And I remember back to, uh, we've talked about this a couple of times on our podcast, a video that you shared with me a long time ago of a father and his toddler. Oh yeah. And the toddler was throwing a, mm-hmm. like a temper tantrum is a time-lapse video. Yeah. And they kept just, I don't know how long it went on for, but it almost, <laughs> even in the time-lapse, it seemed like this went up forever where this little toddler's throwing this fit. He's like really upset. This is like a two-year-old Yeah, and he's hitting at his dad and he's punching and he's screaming and he's rolling around and convulsing and all these things. And the father just hangs in there, mm-hmm. just hangs in there. And he just, he's just with, yeah. like he tries to come for a little bit, mm-hmm. but, the, but the two-year-old's not wanting it, pushes him away, screams some more. This whole thing just goes on and on. Yeah. I, as a parent in those moments, probably would have got up Put oh yeah. The, put them in the pack and play, mm-hmm. shut the door and laugh. Yep. Yep. But when do our kids need us the most? Mm-hmm. In that right. moment. Yeah. When so many of us, because we get triggered ourselves, can't hang yeah. in there with them. Exactly. But what I recognized is would anybody look at that video and say that that father was being abused? Hmm. No, it's laughable. That's a good point. Exactly. A two-year-old cannot abuse no. the father. Well, when you're in a room, when someone's having a real big trigger, even if they're an adult, yeah, you know what I'm saying? If you're full within yourself, and obviously we're not talking about somebody brings a gun in the room is trying to shoot you. We're not talking about they're wielding a baseball bat that you got to get out of the way of or whatever. A, a true point, fight or flight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a true reason to fight or flight. Yeah. You know, yeah. we talk about fight or flight so much. Sometimes we talk about it being bad. No, exactly. fight or you know, flight protects is, you from true danger. Yeah. Yep. If our house is on fire or a burglar breaks in, we want the fight or flight to kick in because exactly. we literally, our life literally is in danger. Mm-hmm. But when somebody comes in a room, for the most part, throwing a temper tantrum or having a little fit, yeah. it's more like that little two-year-old. Mm-hmm. You know exactly. what I'm saying? And your life's not really in danger. Mm-mm. You know your, what I'm saying? Your brain might go into fight or flight thinking that you're still in danger, but you you are not, but you, it may feel like that in the moment. But what keeps coming in my head is that picture of that man with his toddler. Yeah. And I'm like, it's laughable to think that that toddler mm-hmm. can abuse that man. Exactly. So to me, it's almost in a lot of these scenarios that would have thrown me way off my game in the past. Now it's almost laughable that mm-hmm. that person can hurt me. Yeah, no, that's definitely the response you start getting once you no longer no longer has power over you. That it does almost become laughable that it could, because it feels so exaggerated, not in a bullying way, but so exaggerated in a two year old throwing a fit. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I'm I'm blending experiences like I had that yeah. one recently, but that one wasn't nearly as big as some other ones I've experienced in my life where 
you know, when somebody was in, in one of those big moments, like, yeah, I, I got so little and I was so scared. And, and, and to think now that I can look at it as being not that way, you know, almost, Mm -hmm. almost laughable is, uh, is, is a sign of a lot of healing. Yeah. A lot of healing. And that's my hope that what people take from this is Mm -hmm. that. Exactly. These big, scary situations you face in life with people can look a lot more like Mm -hmm. the dad with his toddler. Can that, can that toddler really abuse him? No. Yeah. Yeah. And this might, for some of you listening, might be challenging, especially the de- the varying degrees of abuse and negative experiences that we've had. But I would be, I would challenge you to just try to be curious with it. Maybe it's too hard to think of there not being any villains in life, but maybe we can be curious about the villains that we see in our life. Because I think it's really important to start the process of curiosity And like we said a little bit earlier, the reason why I want you to is not because I'm trying to justify if your pain is valid or not, but it's because I'm justifying or or wanting you to see how powerful you really are. And if you start to become curious, it's the beginning of being able to know how powerful you are in any situation. Mm -hmm. No, that's a great point. You know, right right along the lines and, and probably a less intense you know, version of this is, you know, when we get to the point of calling someone a villain, this pain has gotten pretty big mm-hmm. and yeah. and it's probably been going on a while, maybe mm-hmm. not, but it, it's poking at something that's pretty big at us. Yeah. But also a lot of times in life, you know, a lot of our arguments, you know, it just stems from one person having to be right and one person mm-hmm. having to be wrong. Yeah. And that's a lot like, that's a lot like this. You know, mm-hmm. one person has to be right. One person has to be wrong. Exactly. And the reality is kind of like we talked about at the beginning, life is life is sometimes black and white. There's some things that are obviously wrong. Yeah. You know, we talk about the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. And well, we know that hurting a child is obviously wrong. We know yeah. that, you know, physical and sexual abuse and all these things are obviously wrong. But so much of life is not that black and white. Yeah. Right or wrong is very subjective. Mm-hmm. And, and I sometimes tell people, I'm like, why do you think we have so many attorneys? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Why do we have uh, all this big court system and the Supreme mm-hmm. Court, Supreme mm-hmm. Court, you know, every year gets to tackle some of the tush, toughest issues where people are like, a whole bunch of people think it's right. And a whole bunch of people think it's mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah. And they need someone to help determine that because it's mm-hmm. not black and white. As yeah. much as much as we think it is. And that's the whole thing too, between the line of the victim and the villain and the mm-hmm. hero. We are all all of those. Yes, we are. At times, or we um are the subject to those, you know, mm-hmm. that in no case is it ever our true identity, but we all kind of move from mm-hmm. move back and forth between those. So, you know, I think about all of the human strife yeah. that exists in the world is largely because people have prioritized being wrong or right over connection with themselves Mm -hmm. first, but even connections with each other. Yeah. So it's hard to think that what we're talking about here on a micro scale, like our own heart, Mm -hmm. our interactions with our family, that all that rolls up into how it affects the world around us, like mm-hmm. at a macro level, geopolitics, yeah. 
mm-hmm. um, the way yeah. political parties interact with each other, you mm-hmm. know, just same exact concept, different scenarios and the, the stakes get higher and the, you know, the situations become more complicated, but at the end of the day, it's still this exact villainizing and trying to find the hero in it that becomes the problem. Yeah. You know, when two countries go to war with each other, well, one has to be right and one has to be wrong. Yeah. Um, there probably has hardly ever been a war ever. I suppose somewhere where it was that obvious, but no, there's e- always so much even, more. Even in story. the really obvious ones, like World War II, you're like, well, that should seem pretty obvious. Well, there was probably there's multiple different layers to that and different facets of how you would see that. And we can't just minimize it to right or wrong. Yeah. 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 So, kind of how I'd like to conclude today is just kind of talking about this. Because um, really, when we, when we, when we label someone, what we're doing is we're making a judgment. Mm-hmm. And I think this concept of judging others is a very kind of triggering thing too, because on one sense, um, you know, in the belief system that I have, we're not to judge others, but then again, is that letting people off of the hook? And the difference I believe is judging a behavior Exactly. Versus, versus a person. Versus who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of assumptions when we try to judge who a person is, but we can look at behavior. We can judge behavior. Yeah. So I wanted to read kind of an excerpt from uh, to kind of wrap us up from a book, a book we talked about in the past called The Shack. And The Shack is written by this gentleman by the name of William Paul Young. And um just a little bit of backstory to kind of lead into this excerpt is this, uh, the, the main character in the story's name is Mackenzie, or he goes by Mac and Mac's daughter was kidnapped and murdered. And he's struggling with that. I mean, in Mac's world, there's an obvious villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we kind of pick, we kind of pick up there where Mac has a lot of judgment in his heart and, um, So this is kind of where the story picks up and where we're going to talk through here is Mac is having a conversation with a kind of an angelic judge, uh, if you will. Um, And uh, obviously this is, this is a, this is a fictional book, but anyway, uh, here's, here's where, here we go. So the judge says, but you are not on trial here. Mac took a deep breath, relieved at her words. You will be the judge. The knot in his stomach returned as he realized what she had said. What, me? I'd rather not, he paused. I don't have any ability to judge. Oh, that is not true, returned the quick reply, tinged now with a hint of sarcasm. You have already proven yourself very capable, even in our short time together. And besides, you have judged many throughout your life. You have judged the actions and even the motivations of others as if somehow you knew what those were in truth. You have judged the color of skin and body language and body odor. You have judged history and relationships. You have even judged the value of a person's life by the quality of your concept of beauty. By all accounts, you are quite well practiced in the activity. He had to admit he had done an awful lot of judging in his time, but he was no different from anyone else, was he? Who doesn't jump to conclusions about others from the way they impact us? 
there it was again, his self-centered view of the world around him. Kind of want to pause right there. Because when we are stuck in our pain mm -hmm. and we are living from our pain, we do, we are very self-centered. Yeah. We can only see from that perspective. Yeah. We can only see through the lens of that pain. Yeah. And it really shades how we look at the world around us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So kind of moving on. Tell me, she inquired, if I may ask, on what criteria do you base your judgments? Max said nothing that seemed to make sense at the moment, he admitted, his voice faltering. I confess that when I made those judgments, I felt justified. But now? Of course you did. Judging requires that you think yourself superior over the one you judge. Well, today you will be given the opportunity to put your ability to use. Come on, she said, patting the back of the chair. I want you to sit here now. And just what will I be judging, he asked, turning to look up at her. Not what? She paused and moved to the side of the desk. Boom. His discomfort was growing in leaps and bounds. What right did he have to judge anyone? Sure, in some measure, he probably was guilty of judging almost everyone he had met and many he had not. Mac knew he was thoroughly guilty of being self-centered. How dare he judge anyone else, he was thinking to himself. All his judgments had been superficial, based on appearance and actions, things easily interpreted by whatever state of mind or prejudice supported the need to exalt himself, to feel safe, or to belong. So if we think about this, all of this is being born out of not having the 10 gifts that we talk about Exactly. And it's more of a protector of to have a villain than it is to, than a true villainizing. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, and we talk about a protector as being a stand in. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. that standing in, that standing in, waiting for or trying to fill the space of one of the 10 gifts, which is to be seen, to be heard. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we've done several episodes on the 10 gifts and, um, I encourage you to go back and listen to those. But so because he's lacking, because he has lack in his heart, he feels yeah. this need to to have these prejudices to exalt himself. Yeah. And and man, how subtly we do this sometimes. Mm -hmm. So moving on. So who is it that I'm supposed to judge? God, she paused. And the human race. She said it as if it was of no particular consequence. You have got to be kidding, he exclaimed. Why not? Surely there are many people in your world you think deserve judgment. There must be at least a few who are to blame for so much of the pain and suffering. What about the greedy who feed off the poor of the world? What about the ones who sacrifice their young children to war? What about the men who beat their wives? What about the fathers who beat their sons for no reason but to assuage their own suffering? Don't they deserve judgment, Mackenzie? Mac could sense the depths of his unresolved anger rising like a flood of fury. So that kind of goes back to that unresolved pain, mm -hmm. yeah. that pain deep downside rising up and needing to displace it on someone. I got to yeah. judge someone mm -hmm. to get rid of this pain. Yeah. And then he kind of, the, the judge kind of goes at the juggler here. Um, doesn't seem very compassionate, but this is actually very going to be very, very helpful for Mac. And what about the man who preys on innocent little girls? What about him, Mackenzie? Is that man guilty? Should he be judge? Yes, screamed Mac. 
damn him to hell. Is he to blame for your loss? Yes. But what about his father? The man who twisted his son into a terror, what about him? Yes, him too. Judge him as well. How far do we go back, Mackenzie? This legacy of unresolved pain goes all the way back to Adam, which is another way of saying all the way back to the beginning of humanity. Yeah. What about Adam? What about all the way back to the beginning? But why stop there? What about God? God who started this whole thing is God to blame. So I liked I like that because I like this excerpt because it really it really helps one think and puts things in perspective. Yeah. And it kind of shows that this has been the plight of humanity. Mm-hmm. Victims and villains. You know, this yeah. is the way we've been dealing with our pain mm-hmm. for a long, long, long time. And what we're trying to I feel, you know, one of the one of the reasons why I want to help produce this simple little podcast is that we can we can change that narrative. Yeah, we definitely can. It's we such can a ch- powerful way to view things. We can no cha- longer have those villains. We can change the storyline. Mm-hmm. No longer do hurting people have to hurt other people. Yeah. And because if if hurting people take care of the hurt within them. Mm-hmm. There won't be a need to even have a villain. Exactly. There won't be a need for a victim because mm-hmm. we will be full within ourselves. So we talk, you know, everything we do is on such a micro level, you know, with the podcast, mm-hmm. we're talking about our individual yeah. world, but that's where it starts. Yeah. It starts one person at a time learning to take care of their heart so that they can become, you know, who they were created to be. And as they express and live from who they were created to be, guess what? They're not going to hurt other people. Mm -mm. And they're not going to be hurt by other people. Nope. Yeah. They'll become their own boundary. Mm -hmm. It'll be laughable when, when the big bully comes in the room because they're like, that person can't hurt me. Yep. Changing the narrative. Yeah. Bad behavior doesn't get all the attention anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's kind of freaky to think that big sometimes, but, <laughs> yeah. but you know, what I have found though, too, in life is that the answer to problems is often the, the simplest mm-hmm. thing that you could imagine. Yeah. Cause you look at, you look at what goes on in the world and it seems so complicated, mm-hmm. but if you really boil it down and you recognize where all of that comes from, all of that comes from hearts that have mm-hmm. not been well cared for. Yeah, exactly. All of it. Yep. Well, taking care of hearts would none of that, none of that would be happening. No. Quite an opportunity we all have before mm-hmm. us. It's always difficult when it's ourselves. I know for you and for myself, we've talked about in the past. It's hard when it's your own villain, it's your own life story, it's your own trigger, but it's all the more reason to be brave and to face what's going on inside of your world. And you won't regret it because when you become the most powerful person in the room, because you're okay, regardless of your circumstances, that's when you will be bully proof. That's when you will be villain proof. You'll no longer have the same impact. They will no longer be able to hurt you in the same way because you're okay within yourself. Yeah. It's when you'll be able to keep your love on, so to speak. Yep. Exactly. Yep. You, the, your, your love meter will, will keep, will keep the love will keep flowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both for yourself and for the other person. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
Absolutely. Well, I just want to commend everybody that's obviously listened to the podcast to this point. I doubt many of you just jumped right to the end. (laughs) And um, because what you're doing is a very brave thing. Very brave. And you're doing it primarily for yourself Mm -hmm. to grow, to discover, to heal pain so that you can discover who you were created to be. Yeah. But there's this wonderful side benefit. And that side benefit is that as you learn to do this, your impact on the ones you love is going to be profound. Yeah. Your ability to be with them when they're at their very worst is going to soar. You'll no longer have to run out of the room. Yep, exactly. You'll be able to be with your your little toddler. Mm -hmm. Maybe your little toddler is 20 some years old now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Maybe your little toddler still too. Either way. Um, you're going to be able to be with them when they mm-hmm. actually need you the most, your exactly. friends, your coworkers, you know, whoever, uh, whoever that is, and you will become your own boundary. You won't have a need to continue in a relationship with someone that consistently treats you poorly because it'll yeah. become a preference and you'll be like, yeah. even if I, I have to be, to. even if I have to be single the rest of my life, I'm not going to put up with this. Exactly. You know? Because you know that you can be single the rest of your life and you can be okay. Yep. You definitely can still be okay. Again, thank you all for listening. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. Until next time, thank you for joining us. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of Triggered and True. We hope that you enjoyed it. As a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, go to triggeredandtrue.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click ask. And if you would like to learn more about the Compassion Method, be sure to check out the Compassion Method Master Course, which can be purchased at CompassionMethod.net. And as a podcast listener, you qualify for a $50 discount, which can be obtained by typing in the coupon code PODCAST50. Again, that's CompassionMethod.net, coupon code PODCAST50. Thank you again. Goodbye.